Westlap Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with a red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowsbo. Happy New Year, gentlemen. Yeah, happy 2020. Yeah. I hope you had wonderful holidays. I know mine was full of a lot of football and... Um, what was great is actually, John, uh, you and I had a chance to go to the women's basketball game on New Year's Eve with our daughters. Yeah, it was fantastic. And I, I know this is cliche because I know you a lot, a lot of you are well ahead of the game on us on this, but, um, for whatever reason, it was my first trip and I think it was your first trip too, right? Sam out to yeah. see the, the new facility at Welsh Ryan. It is and gorgeous. It's. I know it sounds cliche to anyone who's been multiple times. We're ta- we're we're going to talk as if this thing was brand new, but it's brand new to us. And Lord have mercy, what a palace! Um, yeah, it it is absolutely it's spectacular. It's and- it's a it's amazing because it feels so much like the United Center, but miniaturized to me. That it's that it has this super high level of quality and yet this intimacy at the same time. It's amazing. Yeah, it definitely does not feel like the old high school gym that it, it used to be. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, like there there is an upper deck, but it doesn't like go up into the far up nosebleeds above the rafters. Um, you know, they they have like this giant concession area, and it, it again we're 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 appreciative of the choir if you've been there already, but. You know, for both of us, this was a, a great new experience. And, um, you know, what was, was great is, you know, my daughter, she's three and a half and, you know, sitting through an entire basketball game. She's not there yet. So, but she was able to just wander around. And, uh, honestly, I, I think I might have been playing a little bit better defense than Marilyn did, uh, <laughs> that game. I trying to keep her off the floor because I, I can think of at least six or seven times she tried to make a break for the, the court while the game was in action. So I was, Trying to, you know, practice my defense from back in the day, and you stay between her and the ball. That, but, that uh, sounds like my son at his cousin's lacrosse games. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I was telling Sam, I was like, you've you've got a future Wildcat basketball player on your hand. She's already eyeing the court, wanting to get out there, wanting to do her part. Um, but it's it's awesome. I mean, like Sam said, I mean, the place has a proper mezzanine. Um, there, you look across. I mean, from where we were sitting. Looking right across, like you said, at that mid-level concession area, it's really big. There's almost a full walk around. I mean, really, there would be a full walk around, but there's the the private, what the reserved area. I don't know if that's the end club, or the luxury whatever. suites, the luxury suites. Um, which, but aside from that, you pretty much have a 360 walk around, and a women's basketball game is the perfect time to go see it because I mean, there was a healthy crowd there, but there's still plenty of room to move around, check out different areas. I took photos from practically every angle. It's just an, an awesome facility, and it didn't hurt that we happened to show up for one of the bigger games in Northwestern women's basketball recent history. Yeah, number 12 Maryland coming in, and we just laid a hurting on them. It was like – it might have been close early, but we got out to a, a pretty big lead, forced them into start pressing like early in the second quarter – and we could break the press, and they could not hit the broad side of a bar, and their shooting percentage was terrible, especially from beyond the arc. And we were, you know, we were hitting our shots. Pulliam and Burton had wonderful games, um, you know, getting points from down low. Shide and Wolf were, were doing their stuff. It was in just top to bottom. And, like, Maryland did not look like the number 12 team in the country. I'm sorry. And, you know, we looked like we should have been ranked. And were it not for the uh, – the slip up against Iowa, you know, later on that week, you know, right now, Cats sit at 26, one vote out of the top 25. So, I mean, the reason Maryland's number 12 coming into this game, right? Like, they, so they had they had two losses. Both those losses were to top 15 teams, uh, number eight, South Carolina, number 13, North Carolina State. Those games were both reasonably close, um, you know, within uh, within single digits. Um and then they had a uh, a, a nice win um, versus Michigan. They they blew Michigan out by by uh, fifteen points. Uh, Michigan ranked number twenty three. So, like their their record was pretty decent. Um, they've hit a hundred in three four different games this year. 
um, 90 against Belmont, 88, or 99 against Delaware. So, I mean, they've like, they're a prolific team. And I just, the way Northwestern's defense, it's being coined the blizzard defense. Um, we just swarmed their players, disrupted a lot of their interior passing, a lot of their interior game. They countered with the outside shot and they weren't falling and just everything come to, came together, uh, for the cats in this game. And, um, yeah, Maryland didn't hit a three until the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, they, they, they committed a ton of fouls to 26 personal fouls in total. Pulliam and Burton were a combined 24 of 25 from the line. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, so just, I mean, everything kind of went Northwestern's way. Now, now everything went Northwestern's way in this game, but Northwestern came out of the gate, just guns blazing and played a fantastic, fantastic game. We're going to talk about Iowa in a minute. Obviously things were frankly the polar opposite of that there, but, um, but what, what a statement from the cats. I mean, we talked about this on our last podcast two weeks ago, the cats really hadn't been tested, right? Um, they were going to Illinois and then following it up with this massive home game against Maryland at home. I, have they beaten Maryland since Maryland has been in the Big Ten? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I think yeah. It was their, I think it was their first win over Maryland ever. I believe. Yeah. So I mean, this was gargantuan, and they they lived up to the moment. They took care of business. Um, obviously, you guys were there to see it, which is which is amazing. I I I, I wish I could have been there. Um, I will be taking in Welsh Ryan for the first time on January 30th. There's a, a cadre of Northwestern fans getting together for uh, the women's game that night against, I believe, Michigan. So. Yeah, that, that's right. 7 p.m. against Michigan. And if, if you're if you're listening and you want to you know, meet up with us, shoot us a you know hit us up on Twitter. Um, sh- you know, shoot us a note. We'd love to say hi. We're having a little bit of a get together with a bunch of friends of the pod and uh, like like you said, a, a good crew coming together. It, it'll be a lot of fun. So. If, if you want to come out uh, Thursday night, January thirtieth, Northwestern Michigan, um, you know, hit us up and we'll 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 meet up. Our our goal is to get group tickets. If we can get a group of fifteen or more, it's like three bucks uh, a ticket. Not that that's the you know, but but it'd be nice to have a, a group of people all sitting together. We'll make a lot of noise. We got some uh, some Northwestern. Um, some some famous Northwestern alums, uh, recent alums. I'll I'll say. Uh, that that will be that will be joining the party. Um, it should be a ton of fun. I'm going to be there. I don't know if either of you guys are able to make it, but um, I'm hoping I can. I, I I'm not I'm not sure yet. Again, same. It's like if we can. I mean, I it's you really you go to a game there, and I mean, and this obviously is an awesome opportunity to go. With uh, what you guys are talking about, but I can't stress enough: if you go to a woman's game, you're going to want to get back as soon as possible because it's a great team. It's not expensive, and the facility is awesome, and you can pretty much watch from wherever you want to watch. It's just a really good time. I mean, I was just moving around to different areas. We saw some people, you know, behind one of the hoops. We're talking for a while, um, but again, not to not to rehash that. Being there in person, and you know, Scuzz kind of alluded to this already, but the strength of the guard play. And, and we've talked about this, of course, for weeks now. We talked about it last year um, in the NIT tournament. But in person, a couple of things jump out. One, Pulliam, who's listed at 5'10", it feels like she's 6'1". She's just... Something about a, like her frame is just imposing enough that... You're not used to seeing a frame height build like that on someone who handles the ball that well and is that good of a shooter off the dribble. She's and, she's got incredible bounce on oh, that shot and, off the dribble too, which is what it, that that to me that's what always looks like she plays bigger than she is 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 that bounce. Right. And it's just to watch someone like that who's so comfortable attacking off the dribble is vicious. But Burton, man alive. Can I interject before you shift yeah. to Burton? Just yeah. that, so I, I we had the game on. I guess like maybe probably the first half. Um, and my six year old, uh, I've I've I finally broken through on something. She doesn't listen to most of the things I say, but she <laughs> she knows that number ten on Northwestern is really good. And I was like, I'm you know bouncing back and forth from the kitchen to the family room. I'm cooking. I'm getting dinner ready. And she's like, number ten scored again, Dad. She's so good. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> She, I mean, and it's 
it's so obvious that even uh, a small child can figure it out. It really is. I mean, the she's really and watching Marilyn try to figure out how to deal with her, but at the same time, Burton, who you forget that you know she hadn't, she didn't even have a full year at Northwestern under her entering the women's NIT last year, and how big her development was. It's just, I mean, you see someone growing by leaps and bounds. And she was the real revelation in this game. I mean, Pulliam was dominant. But Maryland was just trying and failing to press for the majority of this game. It was just a lost cause. They were just throwing bodies at Burton. And she was just like, this is a joke to me. And was just beating it and beating it and beating it. And yes... You know, Sam said earlier, Maryland couldn't hit the broad side of the barn offensively, but that's only part of the story when you beat a team as badly as we beat them. And even if they had been able to score, there was just nothing they could do. They couldn't press us. They couldn't stop us. And, you know, credit where credit is due, too. One of the other things that jumped out to me is, in person, Sidney Wood, who is our third starting guard, is 5'11", and you see every bit of that. When people talk about this blizzard defense, it's a really, like, I think the nucleus of it is you've got this nucleus of guards. I mean, you've got Wolf and Shy down low, and they play really well. But you've got this nucleus of guards, um, and I think uh, Jordan Hamilton coming off the bench as well, that are four athletic sophomore and junior guards who are long and fast and can defend really well in tandem. And Wood can guard just about any position outside of the low post. And it's just a really vicious unit. But, you know, in a little bit, we're going to pivot to talking about the men's team. And, you know, we've been making this comparison for a while now. But when you see the quality of the guard play from the women's team in person, it just drives home even more how, you know, dependent it is you know if you're trying to build a championship team or or at least a team that can contend for a championship you need this quality of guard play so i I, so i want to talk about that specifically because um you know coming off the maryland game i was looking at the standings in the big 10 i was looking at the other teams in the big 10 i was looking at the margin of victory that northwestern had posted over illinois and maryland and i was asking the question like who like who else is in the running for the conference championship? Cause for the first time in my fandom as a Northwestern fan, I like, I feel like the women are in the mix, right? Yeah, to, for sure. To, to win the conference for sure. Um, so I, then that Iowa game happened. Um, I think, you know, my read on the Iowa game and a lot of this comes from, from um, some of the stuff I read on inside and you and elsewhere is, you know, Northwestern's defense um, great at disrupting, passing and in an interior game, etc. Not as fantastic against the three. Iowa happens to be the second best three point shooting team in the conference and they just iced us. Um Yeah, I mean they, they, they shot nine of fourteen from three, sixty four percent. Compare that to four of eighteen for Maryland, twenty two percent. So Yeah. Yeah. Um and they just they they now, now the number three three-point shooting team in the conference, Maryland, and the number four three-point shooting team in the conference, Illinois. So, like, it's it's not like Iowa's not some magical setup, right? It just it, it was a it was a bit of a bad night for Northwestern, both offensively and defensively. I think that's probably not a surprise coming off of of such an emotional, um, massive win against Maryland a, a few days prior, but. Um, there, you know, if there's a weakness of this team, it might be facing a team like Iowa that is, you know, re- really good shooting percentage, decent from three. Um, they have a, they have a pretty poor defense. Um, but interestingly, the team Northwestern is playing on Thursday of this week, and that's Minnesota. Very similar statistical profile to Iowa. The other team in the conference that appears to be probably the the odds-on favor right now is Indiana. Indiana is um, tops in the conference in. Uh, field goal, sh- field goal shooting, three point shooting. Um, they're number well, they're number seven, but uh, they're three and zero. They just they look very very strong. Um, that's probably going to be Northwestern's biggest challenge, I would say. The rest of the way, um, I'm pulling up the schedule right now to see when we play them. It's not until uh, January 16th, so we've got them in 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 a, in a in a week's time. We only play them once on the on the regular season calendar, but. They, they've taken over that number 12 ranking from Maryland, interestingly, but 
Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to chalk that Iowa game up as, as a little bit of a, of a misnomer right now, but to me, Indiana, uh, Nebraska is the other team that looks pretty solid. Rutgers is always good in women's basketball. Those are the, those are the teams Northwestern is looking up at right now. And there's reason to believe, I think that the cats, um, Indiana is, is, is really the, the one that, that matters. Yeah. I think, you know, kind of like last year, I think realistically what you're going to probably be seeing is right. I think it's looking like Indiana is going to be emerging as the leader, but you're going to see a lot of teams jostling for that double buy. And I think Northwestern's going to be right in that mix. And if you look, you know, it's like Iowa has a loss to Maryland, right? Iowa has a loss to Michigan. Michigan has a loss to Maryland. Maryland has a loss to us. We have a loss to Iowa. There's just a lot of that in that upper echelon of the conference right now. A lot to still be sorted out. Um, and I think Northwestern's going to be right in the mix to be right at, you know, right at the top or near the top of that group. So, yeah, we got uh, Minnesota coming up on Thursday, then next week uh, home for Purdue, and then at Indiana. So, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to see the Hoosiers coming up here pretty soon, uh, a week from Thursday. So uh, that, that'll, that'll be definitely one to circle on the calendar. Uh, WNUR is going to have it. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like it's BTN Plus uh, right now. That could change, but we, we shall see. Should, you know, do we have to? Pivot to the men. <laughs> oh boy. It seems now part of it was the holiday break, right? But we had talked in tones tinged with optimism the last time we spoke <laughs> about the Northwestern men's basketball team. And that almost, was after that was after consecutive five point losses to Michigan State and DePaul, in which Boo Booey went for twenty five and twenty six points and the team was looking like they're on the verge of something. Oh. Then, then they lost to Hartford. Yeah, it was, and, and and then everyone got hurt. Well, what was really brutal was about the Hartford game. I think off on the surface, um, everyone was like, "Oh my God, we lost to Merrimack, we lost to Radford, and now we're losing to Hartford." And I think someone pointed out, I think Merrimack has actually beaten Hartford this year too. So, like, make of that what you will. But um, the when you actually watched the game, though, what you saw was two things. And I think at the time, it was really interesting to juxtapose that game with the Michigan State game. Because Michigan State is has the attitude, and they're good enough to have the attitude. Look, we're Michigan State. We've got what we do. It's why we're the number eight team in the country. We're not changing that up for frickin' Northwestern. And we got a, like Sam said, we got a great game out of Boo Booey. Um and gave them a real run and had them really sweating down the stretch. And then you get a team like Hartford that knows that even though we are a wounded puppy Northwestern team, you know, figuratively even before now we are literally that kind of team, um, knew that they had to approach us a specific way, that they had to tailor what they were going to do to Northwestern. And they got a major boost to their game plan when A.J. Turner got hurt early in that game. Because if you looked at that game, I think Harford played eight players in that game, and six of them were guards, and they played at least three guards the entire game. And their goal was, we know you're thin at guard, and we're going to try to play you as play as many guards as possible. If you look at the lineup that Northwestern started, I think Northwestern started Bowie as the lone guard and then also Turner and then didn't return to that lineup the whole rest of the game. A, because Turner got hurt and B, because Hartford made it their mission to overload us with guard play and really get Ryan Greer on the floor as much as possible and just see what happened. And it was just enough for them to pull it out. And at the time, my thought on that was, boy, as well as Bowie has been playing, and we had talked about this potential that, boy, if you get a great night with Bowie and a great night with Spencer, as long as Gaines is hurt, any team that wants to overload us with guards can overload us with guards. And then we're going to have a choice where we're either going to have to desperately try to course correct for that or we're just going to throw caution to the wind and go as heavy as possible with guys like Ryan Young and just try to match you bucket for bucket. And right around the time I was thinking that, 
just about every guard on the team got hurt. Yeah, Bowie um, is going to miss a fair amount of time. We haven't heard exactly how long he's going to be out. Um, sounds like he has a stress fracture in his foot, uh, but possibly not season-ending. Uh, Anthony Gaines out for the rest of the year. Um, he's having surgery. And uh, A.J. Turner ha- still hasn't come back from his injury against Hartford. So, you know, we only suited up, or the Cats only suited up seven scholarship players uh, for the trip to Minnesota, which, you know, to be, to be fair, you know, they lost 77 to 68, but, you know, that's a lot. I mean, that's even closer than I figured it would be. Pat Spencer went as, you know, tried to put the team on his back as much as possible. Uh, 22 points played almost the entire game, 39 minute, 39 plus minutes. Uh, so he was, you know, out on the floor the entire time. Um, and, you know, so he's, I, I, I want to talk about Spencer for a minute here because this is, and, and and I did not watch either of these two games, so I'm inferring some stuff from box scores. But you know the the, the picture you guys just painted of the Hartford game, right? We're we're short on guards. They're playing a ton of guards. They're pressuring us there. Pat Spencer only played 20 minutes in that game. He was three of ten, one of four from three point. You know, not great shooting, obviously. Zero personal fouls. Yet only played 20 minutes. And your comment, John, earlier about Michigan State and them being kind of stubborn and like, no, we're Michigan State. This is our approach. This is how we're going to play. You're not going to dictate to us. I wonder if we fell into that trap a little bit with Hartford in the sense of, no, we're going to play Bowie. We're going to play Greer. We're going to, we're going to, you know, do some things differently tonight. Now, granted that the AJ Turner injury early in that game, early in that game can disrupt a rotation, et cetera. Right. But to see Spencer come back and play 39 minutes, go nine of 18 from shooting, uh, eight boards, eight assists, 20, lead the team in points and assists. Like, sorry, only four boards. Um, that's like, I don't know. That just leaps off the page to me that, this this guy's line was astronomically better on the road in Minnesota in a Big Ten game than I think, it was at home versus Hartford. Well, it's funny with Spencer. We've talked about this before with him. Um, he's light on basketball experience. What he's not light on is confidence. He's mm-hmm. like one of the best people ever at his main sport. Like, he's capable of putting himself in the mindset that he is one of the best people on the floor um it's not like that mentality just goes away when you suit up in a different sport so he's out there right like wanting to say like look you put me out and honestly from a defensive perspective he's a real asset and the problem is the problem is is not spencer or frankly and this is to to your both of your points about this valiant effort against minnesota it's not any of those other guys' problems either. Like, our thesis has never been that Northwestern doesn't have talent on the team. The issue is that we are just starved beyond all get-out at one of the positions you have to have talent and depth at uh, to be an effective basketball team. It was like we were out in the desert last year because we just didn't have guards. And as much as the presence of Bowie and this kind of relative miracle that has been Spencer. I mean, relative to what any reasonable expectation of him has been. Um, the reality is Anthony Gaines was one of the best defensive guards in the conference. And we had that. And even with Gaines, you still might have people thinking, look, we're, you know, there's many teams in the big 10 who are like, look, we can put three, four star guards on the court at any given time. And we'll make Pat Spencer guard one. We'll make Boo Booey guard one. And we'll make Gaines guard one. And we'll see where the weak spot is, right? Well, we're way past that now. Because with Bowie out and Gaines out, I mean, any team with two strong guards, Spencer's a great athlete, but he can only guard one of those. And Turner would be guarding the other one nominally. And that's the thing is, for all intents and purposes, we've, been trying to shoehorn Turner into guard for a season and a half now, even though that's not really his fit. So he'd be next man up. So right now, as things currently stand, 
it's Spencer and then Greer. And again, as we get into the meat of Big Ten play, like you just can't have Greer guarding the number two guard on a top Big Ten team for long stretches of time. So again, it stinks because in a weird way, there's a weird parallel to what the football team went through, where everyone's like, well, you know, now we have a new offensive coordinator, but we're still saddled with these wide receivers, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, how could you get a read off the quarterbacks or the wide receivers or anything based on last season? It's the same thing. Like, it's really difficult at this point to say, peg the ceiling of a guy like Robbie Barron, because we're not capable of running a normal offense right now. And you watched, again, the way that these guys valiantly f- tried to fight through that against Minnesota. You're going to see a lot more about that. I mean, we were talking in optimistic tone several weeks ago. These guys are young and hungry and just excited to be out there, and they're giving maximum effort. And that's going to keep a lot of games closer than they have any right to be. But right now, we desperately need Bowie to come back. We need Bowie and Spencer healthy and then we still kind of have to find a way to guard any team that's going to try to go small against us. Traveling to Indiana on Wednesday night, um, Saturday afternoon, home against Nebraska, uh, then home against Iowa on Tuesday, then at, at Illinois next Saturday. So that that's the next few games for the men. Um, you know, Nebraska, they're nothing to write home about. You know, hopefully we'd be able to, to do something there. I have no, I have no idea how long Bowie's out for. Hopefully it'll be not too, too long, but you know, you, you worry about with a stress fracture in your foot, you know, that could be like a couple months possibly. I mean, I, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say. It's, it's rough. I mean, again, the, the working expectation right now should be, that we are not going to win a Big Ten game. We had kind of inched away from that, and now we're headed right back to it. With that said, Nebraska is certainly the best opportunity. Um, They're a really weird mirror reflection of Northwestern. I mean, Northwestern and Nebraska are safely the two worst teams in the Big Ten. And Nebraska kind of has the exact opposite problem Northwestern does. If you look at Nebraska's top five players in minutes— they're all guards. None of them are taller than 6'6", and their rotation is like six guards and two post players. They're trying to go small ball, and it's not working. Um, they have the opposite issue Northwestern does. They have too many guards, not enough post balance, and they're figuring it out, and it's not working for them. So I don't know what the heck's going to happen in that game. You're going to have a ton of positional mismatches on both sides of the ball. You're going to have guards guarding forwards and forwards guarding guards every trip up and down the floor, and something's going to break. So so who knows? Um, it could be that we go up against Nebraska in that game, uh, roll out, you know, I don't know, Baron, Cop, Young, uh, maybe John Jones or something, or Nance, all at the same time, put one guard out there just with Spencer and play that way the entire game and, and win a goofy matchup game. Who knows? Um, it's it's probably, the opportunity is probably not going to get any better than that in the coming weeks. It's tough sledding right now. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> I mean, not, like it's I, not what you want. <laughs> yeah, like I, this is, this feels like the, the, the read of Northwestern basketball of like, tough tough times and rough injuries and just over and over right um but I, and we you know this this year has already been in some ways better than we expected it to be right is that fair i mean it's, the it's like, it's it's come and it's gone again spencer for the love of god if spencer played as a reasonable person would expect a lacrosse player who hadn't played college basketball to play coming in, we would basically have almost no working guards right now. So we've got that. Which is nice. Yeah. Oh. Shall we talk about uh, about some football? Um, you know, a little bit of Northwestern news before we go into kind of a, a bit of a look at the bowl season. Uh, preview the national championship game coming up on Monday. Um, you know, we 
we're waiting on word from uh, Bennett Skoranek on what his plan was after uh, Bajakian was hired. You know, we thought maybe that would be a great opportunity for him uh, to come in and showcase himself for the NFL. But uh, he decided to matriculate to South Bend to take his grad transfer uh, to Notre Dame. Um, it's a bummer. You know, good luck to him, honestly. You know, I, I know there's not a lot of love for Notre Dame in most of us here. I, I know, Scuzz, you have to keep your mouth shut. We get that. Yeah, it's not It's not love. It's like, uh, it's like Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean... Skoranek made that catch against Iowa that sent us to the Big Ten Championship game. Um, you know, he played as well as could be expected, got hurt this year. Um, you know, he he definitely has an opportunity to play at the next level. And, you know, going to play, uh, catch balls from Ian Book and, well, I guess Notre Dame's offense, they're, they're going to get a new coordinator too. So... You know, but more than likely, they're not going to be changing the scheme. I mean, if they promote Tommy Reese, then it's probably going to be similar to the scheme that they've been running. So, you know, if, if you're looking to get um, a little more exposure, you know, you go to Notre Dame. All of your games are on national TV, or all your home games are at least on because of the NBC deal. Um, most of the Cats games are on national TV too, but uh, they don't have sort of exclusivity of uh, of the NBC. Um, so, so I, I, I have a slightly, like, slightly different take on this, and that I think part of what this does for Skoranek, it's not just exposure from like a TV perspective. I, like, if you look at Notre Dame and what they've done with their receivers, um, they don't have a deep rotation of receivers. If he makes the cut and is one of the three or four guys that plays regularly, he's going to get a ton of balls thrown his way in a very pro style offense, and it is going to give him the the tape to allow NFL teams to effectively evaluate him. Cause that's, you know, the, the feedback he got when he talked to, to NFL scouts um, after getting injured this year was that they didn't know if he was a tight end or a wide receiver and they didn't really know what to do with him. And I think Notre Dame's offense will provide, will afford him the opportunity to demonstrate exactly the type of player he is and garner the, um, the notoriety that, that should come for a player of, of his talent. And I, I like, they're going to utilize him in ways that Northwestern wouldn't like he would be asked to do a lot more blocking at Northwestern. He's going to be running pro routes and a pro style offense at Notre Dame. They're probably going to throw the ball a lot with Ian book. Like it makes a ton of sense. And I, I hate, I hate that he's leaving the cats. Um, I was getting really hopeful. He might come back, come back because he is such a versatile player that, that he would have been good in the Bajakian system. But this is, Ultimately, I think a really good move for for Bennett, and I wish him the best. Yeah, and I think you laid everything out exactly right. I think the other important part of the calculus is he's in a really rough spot, and there's no perfect decision for him, and he's desperately trying to make it to the pro game and has some real problems. Um, You know, he got hurt, but more importantly, was put in a situation where you know, nothing was going on on our offense and then he got hurt. And now he's in a position where, like you said, there's a lot, there are a lot of questions. I think he's, he's, if you look at the two decisions, neither of them has a perfect success rate. I think from a pro prospect um, standpoint, he picked the lesser of the two evils. Um, He's going to go to Notre Dame, but he's still rehabbing from an injury. And of course you've got a Northwestern receiver core, um, who are all really talented and have a working relationship with Ian Book, and you're coming off an injury and you've got to find a place in that. But again, that's the calculus because he's saying, if these things can happen, then like Scuzz says, I've got a quarterback who's accurate, who will throw balls with me. Because the flip side is, right, I mean, we're all very hopeful that Pajakian's going to unlock the potential of some of these quarterbacks. But, I mean, Skoranek, it's all on the line for him. He can't bank on that. And... He's just, you know, it's the kind of situation where, like, no one get, you know, any illusions that he was blinded by the Golden Dome and was like, oh, I've got one year and a chance to be, you know, a member of the Fighting Irish. It's not that at all. Like, this is the best option for him. And there's no great option. A lot has to go right for him here. But, again, this is a former captain. This is a guy we love, a guy who made a massive contribution to the Cats. So, you know, root for him. Don't root for Notre Dame. But root for Ben Skoranek, 
and hope that he gets healthy, uh, gets on the field, and catches a lot of passes from Ian Book because he's earned it and he deserves it. So as we look back at uh, bowl season, um, anything kind of jumping out, jump out at you guys? Um, you know, I, I, I watched a lot of football, not nearly as much as I would have liked, but um, my, yeah. my picks have been garbage. That's what's jumped out to me. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> Uh, but you know, watch both of the semifinal games as much as possible. Um, you know, the Ohio State Clemson game was fantastic. Uh, the LSU Oklahoma game was fantastic. If you're an LSU fan, uh, fan of Joe Burrow, who just looks like he's going to, I mean, if he plays half as good, uh, for the Bengals, uh, that, that, that's going to be an upgrade <laughs> oh, man. for Cincy Jinx- next year. <laughs> jinxing it already. Because uh, are they already printing up Joe Burrow number nine jerseys in Cincy? N- no, but it's funny. Like there is a bit of a buzz. Um, like everybody here knows who Joe Burrow is. Like, and and this is you know this is not an Ohio State town. Um, it's frankly not a big college football town either. Uh, so, but but like there's there's a bit of a buzz. People are excited about it. Um, there was um, a bit of a festive atmosphere at the last home game for the Bengals. They beat the Browns. Uh, they uh, Andy Dalton was was doing crazy things like bootleg running and diving into the end zone to score touchdowns, and like the fans were super appreciative. They, they, I think they showed like a thousand signs of people saying like Andy Dalton, you're a class act because he's kind of like like he knows the writing's on the wall. Um, but I, you know. I, I'm going to, um, I can't remember if we've talked about it on the pod or not, like just how good Burrow looked against Oklahoma. Uh, you know, he should be able to do really good things against Clemson. I don't think he'll look quite as good as he did against Oklahoma, but, um, man, this national title game is going to have a lot of fireworks. I like, here's, here's an interesting thing that, that occurred to me as, as we think about bowl season and, and vis-a-vis the big 10. So Ohio state loses by six to Clemson um, in a game where on the, like essentially the final play, they had the touchdown, but um, just a little bit of a timing miscommunication between um, Justin Fields and, uh, and the wide receiver Olave who, who peeled off his route to move into open space, essentially in the exact same moment, moment that Justin Fields decided to throw the ball, but um, Fields had him in the end zone. He had beaten his man. It was like, Ohio State really could have won that game. But anyways, Ohio State loses by six. Wisconsin loses by one to Oregon. Indiana. In a, in a hell of a bowl. I mean, the Rose Bowl was fun. Rose Bowl was fun. Indiana blows the Gator Bowl to Tennessee, loses by one. Not not a great bowl season for the Big Ten, despite, like, to to, to all of our shock and chagrin, Minnesota somehow knocking off Auburn, dominating the best defensive line in college football on the ground. Um, kind of unreal. Yeah, I think that's my real takeaway is in the year that we decided to not show up in the Big Ten West, Wisconsin won 10, Iowa won 10, Minnesota won 11. I don't think any of us are feeling particularly great about Purdue heading into next season and having to, you know, like Purdue in a way, as bad as things went for Purdue managed to scare the bejesus out of everybody uh, because of the wide receiver core they're going to be fielding next year. Um, now bolstered by Abdurrahman Yassin. Yay for that. Um, the So, I mean, those are four teams in our side of the conference right now that all of a sudden are just have their foot all the way down on the gas. How did and, Illinois do in their bowl game? Yeah, and also Illinois. And also, <laughs> I Illinois thought they would the win. Conference. I thought they would win, and they got they got beat pretty bad. I just hold on to this. Just one more losing Illinois season where they lost to Northwestern. In that regard, this was no different than any of the last five years. <laughs> Illinois has a losing record, and they lost to Northwestern. But but yeah, I think you know it's like we're. I I came out of this to Scuzz's kind of what Scuzz is saying, feeling like. While we were sitting and resting on our laurels and being content to sit out the season because of our offensive coordinator until we got a new one, um, a lot of the rest of the conference got better, and we're going to be playing catch-up now. Uh, just, just to Illinois, I, I saw a really interesting stat, and it, it doesn't mean anything, but um, 
between Northwestern and Illinois, if you've won the Land of Lincoln Trophy or the the Tomahawk before that, like you don't you can't win a bowl game unless you've won the Northwestern Illinois game. Like neither Northwestern or Illinois has won a bowl game in a year that they have not won the the top hat or the tomahawk. Interesting. That is interesting. Well, then Illinois ain't going to be winning any bowl games anytime soon. So we're not giving <laughs> anything up. We still have that anyway. Um, that was one of the takeaways. The other one was, you know, aside from Oregon, I mean, Utah getting Oof. thrashed by Texas. Uh, I did not see that coming. Um, it's a classic Texas But, but thing, John, though. Texas is back. Haven't you yeah, heard? Sure. I can't wait to read. And Sam Ellinger's coming back, too. Um, so it's tough, though, because I don't know, based on last preseason, what the standing record is on Sam Ellinger puff pieces and about how great Texas is going to be. Can, so can, gonna... can we guess, like, is Texas going to be, what, top 15 going into next season? I mean, sure. And then, I mean, whatever it is, I just can't wait to watch them underperform like they do every year. So they host USF opening week and then they take a trip down to baton rouge oh boy to to play at lsu on september 12th Uh, have have fun with that oh oh boy um the other thing i mean again it's like between oklahoma and baylor just kind of the takeaway of just that the you know the big 12 is just an also ran that you know in a year where the a- the AAC was super frisky, it just feels like the Big Twelve was just kind of like eh. it was like what was that conference this year? I have no idea. Big, um, speaking, Big Twelve speaking, won; they won one bowl game. Big Twelve did. Yeah. Speaking of teams from the Big Twelve that did not win their bowl games, whose misery I want to wallow in, <laughs> uh, I'd like to congratulate. The Carolina Panthers on hiring Matt Rule. Oh hell yeah! Away from the cesspool that is Waco, Texas. Hell yeah! yeah. Now, Congratulations! Now, our, now we can just feel free to bathe in the pain of Baylor and not have to because we all we and we've all said this. You know, Matt Rule is is we we liked what he did and he did great great stuff at Baylor and it's great that he's gone. So now we can uh, recommence just rooting against Baylor at every opportunity. Yeah, I can cheer again for Matt Rule. Uh, and then um, watch watch them hire Kendall Bryles. Another Bryles, one. didn't he just? Uh, isn't he going to coach with Lane at uh, at Ole Miss? Or no, at Arkansas. I I don't he, know what he, he's doing. Kendall but... Bryles just got hired as OC somewhere. It's either Arkansas or Ole Miss. I'll say. Um... Another thing for anyone who's watching, again, I make of this what you will. Boston College seemed to miss Mike Bajakian against Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, yeah, they well, they, let's be. I don't know. I don't know that. Um, I don't know that the outcome would have been much different with him either. But well, let's just let's, let's, let's hope it. Let's hope it would have. <laughs> they they yeah. got thrashed. It's so funny. Cincinnati took. Two losses to to Memphis, and that loss at the beginning of season to Ohio State. And outside of those three games, they were awesome. Um, Cincinnati's going to be a top twenty team at the end of the season, which and I think it's what two straight seasons of eleven wins for them. I want to say, like, I think Luke Fickle is not long for Cincinnati. I think... oh go do do not go to Baylor, Luke. Oh God, uh, don't do it, Luke. Um, but I think yeah, greener pastures. Some he's he's headed somewhere onward and upward because he's done a phenomenal job there. Um, he, think... he 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 really has. I think the other thing that's to me has always been just a testament to what people think of him and his potential and pedigree is the fact that he he acted as an interim head coach for Ohio State the year that um, Tressel got booted, and they didn't do great. Right, he went six and six. Ohio, when when they brought in Urban Meyer the next year, they kept Luke Fickle on as the defensive coordinator for a couple of years. That is stunning. To that never happens. He's, um, he's I think were day to leave tomorrow. I think Fickle would be right at the top of the list. I think he's beloved in that program and beloved in the state of Ohio. I think he's. I, but I mean, I think until then, he's going to have his pick of other opportunities soon. Well, it's it's funny because I'm looking I'm I'm looking at a Baylor coaching candidate list right now. Not not to go backwards here, but um, there's two things I want to point out. So one, 
Um, I don't really care about most of these coaches. Like, sure, Sonny Dykes, go to Baylor. Have at it. Um, I'll root against you. If Luke Fickle went to, to Baylor, it would break my heart. But the my this is so this is CBS Sports. My favorite name on here, just because of how ludicrous it is, is Tom Allen. What? Quote wow. Allen just led the Hoosiers to their first eight win season since nineteen ninety three and he was rewarded with a contract extension. But getting out of the Big Ten East in favor of the Big Twelve, where it's easier to win a conference title, uh subtext and you get paid a third as much might be attractive to a coach who has a track record of getting the most out of his players that's fucking ludicrous who wrote that article and how much were they smoking I mean, barrett oh saley barrett saley and dennis dodd oh jeez, guys come on now indiana will pay to keep him as much as as much as they can i think these this is high times for indiana just one more team i mean they choked that tennessee game away they also have they also have brian harson on here which again that seems like a stretch and justin fuente now this is a little bit more justified because they're basically like yeah justin fuente might get fired from virginia tech in another year (laughs) so like maybe he wants to go find they call it a, a soft landing space but um my god what a ludicrous proposition yeah speaking of of coaching malaise um Watching Michigan get, you know, not be in a game against the worst Alabama team. What was in this game, clearly the worst Alabama team in a decade, had to be a little depressing for Michigan fans. Um, <laughs> this was, again, it was, this was a game that Alabama, I mean, there's no doubt about it. This is the worst Alabama team since probably 2011, I think. And, um, you know, th- that's still a damn good Alabama team. Oh, still. And, again, it's all relative. But this is a Michigan team that at the start of the year had Dark Horse National title aspirations. And coming into this game, we did not think it was going to be close. And Alabama didn't look good in this game, and it still wasn't close. Um, well, I, they, they just they had no answer for Jerry Judy. He had six receptions for 204 yards. Right. I, like Alabama's receiving core has been the 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 toast of this team all year, and I, you know I, unless you unless you have a modern offense that can go toe to toe with them, and Michigan patently does not have that, um, you don't have a prayer. I, like that's how LSU beat them. That's how Auburn beat them. I, I just and maybe that's not how Auburn beat them, but um, I just like. It's interesting because John, you were having a, a really good back and forth on on our uh, our text thread with the winning cures everything guys with Chris um, Chris Giannini around Michigan versus Ohio State and what Michigan should be and what the expectations should be, et cetera, et cetera. And I like n- not not to you know rabbit hole into that whole conversation, but I think your your general premise is that like Michigan really should be on par with Ohio State, and they're just not right now, and. It feels like a Harbaugh issue. I I have a little bit of a slightly different take in that I don't know that Ohio State's the right comp for Michigan. I think Notre Dame is the right comp for Michigan. And I think, similar to Notre Dame, Michigan did some really stupid things at their head coach position. And they're paying the price for it right now um, in that they've got a, a guy who was heralded in, in, in Jim Harbaugh, but they've given him so much power and control because they're so desperate after the Hoke and um, uh, Rich Rod Rod. eras that, uh, that there's no accountability for him to modernize the offense. And, and and to me, Michigan feels like they are what LSU was during the Les miles era. They're really good, but the idea that they're going to, they're going to do better than 10 and two and second fiddle to Ohio state is laughable because they, they only, they only focus on one side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, to me, and this is, again, part of the thing that I was talking about with Chris from Winning Cures Everything, is just if you look year in and year out across the Big Ten, and I think this is probably true even if you compare to Notre Dame, Michigan and Ohio State lord over the rest of the conference in terms of the talent that they bring in in a a given year. And that was kind of my point. It's like Ohio State has had the better of that on the field and in the recruiting rankings. But if you compare Michigan over the past decade to any other Big Ten team than Ohio State, and when you look at that, the idea that like a season like this, like, okay, on the road 28 to 21 to Penn State, okay, 
thrashed by Wisconsin, not good. Thrashed by Ohio State, not good. Thrashed by Alabama, not good. Like these, it's, there's not much tolerance for things like that. And again, like Michigan took four bad losses with national title talent on this team. And again, it's like you you just wonder. I mean, I, I don't know that they necessarily know where they would go other than Harbaugh, but I, I think it's, you know, it's got to be time for them soon to start taking a look at another ascendant coach and figuring out, you know, where they're going to turn the page. I mean, I don't know how much longer this can go on. I mean, I it's hard to imagine a team. I mean, next year, Shea Patterson's going to be gone. I have a hard time believing that they're suddenly going to be getting better quarterback play than Patterson gave them, which was half decent. Um, Michigan's leading receivers in this game, Giles Jackson, Ronnie Bell, who is a name, I will say, and Nico Collins. Not leading receivers for Michigan in this game, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black, like top flight wide receiver right. talent that they've just not been able to develop or or deploy in the right way. And it's it's we've we've talked about this in the past as well. It's 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 similar in some fashion and people I'm not comparing Northwestern to Michigan from a talent perspective, but it is similar to the deficiencies at Northwestern in that we've had decent talent at the skill positions and um and just have bungled the 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 deployment and the strategy around those players like you 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 cannot win a national championship in college football on defense alone anymore you can't do it alabama has alabama runs a top flight offense yeah and look at lsu this year look at look at clemson over the last four years it took like clemson's defense was legendary for a decade and it wasn't until they had deshaun watson that they were able to play at the big boys table yeah. And I think, and again, it's like Michigan's got all the talent in the world. It's not a talent issue. That team recruits like bananas. And given all the talent on that team, like Harbaugh is seriously underperforming right now. And again, I don't know. Next it's season. A, it, it's a scheme issue. It's a scheme and coaching issue. If they run back nine and four next season, you know, we're, we're going to see if he doesn't move on somewhere else. I think it's, it's headed to make or break territory. But the, the interesting the thing, is, thing, the is, thing is, is, I don't, I don't see Michigan ever firing him. Do you I, see anybody else hiring him? Because that's like that, that's seems, the only way he goes, right? But it seems like the interest from the NFL has dried up as well. Yeah, it has. Yeah, again, I and again, that's I mean, that's Harbaugh's problem. I to me, the main issue is that I don't know. They have to find someone else. They have to find someone else who's ascended, and you know, a guy like Matt Rule would have been perfect. But right well, now, the NFL is poaching those guys. So, well, we thought that Josh Gaddis who came from Alabama was going to bring that perspective to Michigan and revitalize their offense this year a little bit. Now, maybe that's a lot to ask in, in one year's time. Right. And maybe, maybe that's still coming, but, um, but man, I like it's, it's like, there's, there's no reason to believe in Michigan until they, they do something fundamentally different from a scheme perspective on their offense. It's just, it just is what it is. I mean, like this, this was their window. Urban Meyer retires and Ryan Day takes over Ohio State. The, the the entire quarterback room changes over. Like this was the opportunity, and they totally whiffed. I want to see the golden child, twenty eight, twenty nine year old Joe Brady, goes in, <laughs> goes in there, oh, like wow. like Rich Rod, but like ten years younger. Do it. Put all the chips on the table. That'd be amazing. It won't happen, but he's no he's LSU. And why would you burying him under bags of cash right now? So he's not going to be able to go anywhere. If you're not a Michigan man, why would you go to Michigan after what happened to Rich Rod there? Yeah, true. Why would you do it? And that, and to me, to me, that's the (laughs) Notre Dame did it to Ty Willingham. Michigan did it to Rich Rod and it beget a, I don't know what, six to 10 year period of horribleness afterwards right and and like michigan's still suffering from from the poor decisions they made when they brought in rich rod and then didn't back him up they let they let their fan base take control of the narrative they let you know people instill doubt in rich rod and they didn't have his back and then on top of they had just a brain dead athletic director who was like the, the guy from from um from dominoes right who uh uh, who really started to impact the culture there, and that got all wrapped up in it as well. But I mean, they they started to lose the fans, and when you do that, and you don't support your coach, and and you've got boosters actively campaigning against him internally. I mean, that just that 
that screws everything up, and they're still paying the price for it. Does that happen to Harbaugh, though? Yeah, I don't know. Again, and yeah, he's he's so entrenched. It's going to be interesting, though. And maybe they bounce back next year. I mean, I wouldn't hold well, I think I, I, I think the problem is that Harbaugh was viewed as the savior. Now he hasn't been the savior, but they've given him savior status. And how do you, how can you take that away? Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll just be stuck. But we'll see how many more nine and four seasons they can crank out before something happens. Well, ask Bo Pelini about nine and four seasons, right? <laughs> can't, can't spell Pelini without four L's. Get Harbaugh a cat. Get Harbaugh a nice cat. <laughs> Seems like Scott Frost has a lot of L's in his name. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how long the how long the Sc- Nebraska faithful are willing to wait Scuzz, for that. Scuzz, real talk. You just mentioned that about 15 minutes ago. I'm going through the Big Ten West, and I'm going, well, Wisconsin had a good season. Iowa had a good season. Minnesota had a good season. We had a bad season. Purdue, they're showing a lot of potential. I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Who am I forgetting? (laughs) And where I kind of ended up was, no, I think I got the count right. And then I just moved on. That's that's Nebraska football, everyone. Look, look, I will – we were – me in particular, really wrong about Minnesota this year. Pretty damn wrong about Northwestern, although we certainly caveated that it all depended on the quarterback position. But goddamn, we pegged that Nebraska experience spot <laughs> yeah, on. We sure did. This year, they'll run it back. Preseason top twenty-five national title dark horse. When once you get Scott Frost in year three, that's when things really start clicking. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh man! Real quick, because I, I I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um. What do you guys make of the uh, national championship game on Monday? I think it's going to be awesome. I think I've come around to the idea that um, LSU is not going to dominate Clemson the way they dominated Oklahoma. And I I don't think that has anything to do with defense. I think that's all about the fact that Clemson's offense is really talented and is actually a pretty tough matchup for LSU based on some of the stuff um, Bruce Feldman and Andy Staples um, – have been putting putting out on the athletic uh just some of the some of the there's a, the, basically they went around calling all the coaches um and and trying to get like a, like essentially a scouting report on these two teams of what would you do if you're preparing where are their weaknesses etc um and generally the the commentary was well both teams don't have a dominant defensive line or dominant players on the defensive line like they have had in years past uh, especially you think about Clemson last year and both teams have some, um, you know, they've got really good players in their secondary, but they've got some players that maybe are a little stiff or aren't as, um, aren't as high caliber or have some, some um, tendencies that you can, uh, you can attack. And that just, I mean, Trevor Lawrence and, and Joe Burrow, those guys don't have a lot of uh, deficiencies right now. And both of those teams have like ridiculous, ridiculous wide receiver cores and i just feel like we're going to get a million points in an extremely entertaining national championship game yeah i think one of my takeaways is it's it's really hard i still don't 100 percent know who the second best team in the country is between clemson and ohio state it was that kind of game it was such a close game this this is like your very poor wisconsin take come on now yeah i know I, <laughs> I but with that said i came out of that game thinking those two teams were both great and the bottom line Fair. is Clemson hasn't lost in forever. Trevor Lawrence has never lost. Um, not in, you in know, college, he hasn't. Not in college. Um, There's actually a great piece on The Athletic. That that's I, right. I some meaning to quarterback, check. Like, yeah, some I, quarterback for Air Force right now or something? Or Yeah, like, I forget who it was, but they tracked down the last uh, the last team to beat Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I think it's like a backup quarterback for Air Force was the starting quarterback for the last team to, to beat him. But so there's that, right? Like they have that swagger right now. They have that confidence. Um, again, I think they're great. I think Ohio State was great. But I'll, but sure, I'll give Clemson. You know, they're the number two team in the country. I still think, George. You know, to your point, Scuzz. Like I think you have in LSU's case a team that is capable of being uneven on defense. If you get good LSU defense, though, if you get that defense on an off night, 
they're going to steamroll everybody, and that includes Clemson. I think the Georgia game would be a good, you know, peg for that. I think Clemson's better than Georgia, but Georgia's a darn good team who just got flattened. And I think their various other games, I mean, you've got a game like the Alabama game where they were kind of asleep at the switch, and they got up on the lead, and they let Alabama kind of get back into it. And then you look early on in the season when we didn't really know what they had. You had that shootout uh, in Jerry World, right, against Texas. Um, and, but if you get that strong D, I think their D is capable of canceling out what Clemson wants to do. And I don't think there's anything on Clemson's side of the ball that can stop what LSU is going to do. So I still feel like LSU is going to win comfortably, but, um, I like, you know, either scenario is pretty wild because if, if Lawrence pulls this one off, suddenly you're talking about him, you know, who's been a relative afterthought compared to all these other quarterbacks, suddenly you have to start putting him in the greatest college quarterback ever comp- like conversation. Like the guy's never lost. You need to have two national titles. So um, it's pretty wild. But I think for me, it, when it comes down to it, this LSU team's, if it, they're one of the best I've ever seen, they're up there with mid-90s Nebraska. And if they put it on Clemson, that's just going to cement it. One thing I'm, I'm actually really happy about uh, and was missing this in uh, in the semifinal games is the return of the ESPN's coaching, the coaches room. Um, you know, that is, uh, I believe, you know, they get a room full of coaches together, give them a bunch of pizza and let them talk about the game as it's going on. It, it's really, really interesting. Uh, Fitz was on it for the national championship game last year um, and I, I'm interested to see who they're going to get uh, for the coaches' room this year. It's is a really, really great watch, and you know, I, I, I will often go back and forth between uh, Fowler and Herb Street, and then the coaches' room to kind of see what uh, what analysis you're getting, you know, on, on a deeper level. Uh, definitely, I, I will record the coaches' commentary uh, to go back and take a look at it later. Just it's it's really, really interesting. Haven't seen a list of the coaches. Uh, going in that yet, but uh, definitely looking forward to it. For the first time in how many years would you have to go back? You could you could do a Saban Belichick room if you wanted to this year. Oh my god! Yeah, how you, many, you have to have, you have to get Saban in there. How many years would you have to go back? Because wasn't there some crazy run right where either Alabama or uh, either Alabama was in the national title game or the Patriots were in the Super Bowl? Well, what it was is run. if Alabama won the national championship, uh, New England would not win the Super Bowl. So either Alabama or New England was winning their, their title game. Right. So you actually have, for the first time in eons, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban both sitting around with nothing to do right now. Uh, put them both in a booth. Let's just let those two guys talk. That'll be enough for me. Well, my guess is that they'll have Saban on site uh, for like game day in, like, in, the, you know, in New Orleans. Um, and this coach's room is going to be in Nashville during the AFCA meeting. So we shall see. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, anything else we need to mention before we get out of here tonight? Skull Vikings. Yeah, absolutely. We can leave it at that. Yeah. Afadi Adenabo. They're going to ride Afadi all the way to the Super Bowl. Afadi has been amazing this year. I wish I had the stats up. Um, Take me, but he's been incredible. Like the like the like the quarterback pressures he gets, the the key sacks that he gets. Like he is a he is there. There are three like legit awesome Northwestern defensive linemen in the in the NFC North right now. Uh, between him, Lancaster, and, and Dean Lowry, it's awesome. It's sweet too. I mean, you're headed to what the divisional round of the NFC playoffs uh, with a Northwestern player who's going to play and will have a chance to make a real impact in the game. It's awesome. We haven't had this very often. And then you've got, uh, you know, the Packers, uh, the Green Bay Wildcats, if you will, what, five, four or five guys on the pack? And they're, they're taking on Seattle. So right. definitely and- an opportunity for, you know, if the Vikings can go into San Francisco and, you know, pull off another great road win i it's we've had the afadi touchdown return we've had the dean touchdown return now we need to see the tyler lancaster playoff touchdown return big guy touchdown or how about a, a dan vitale you know a little sweep uh fullback screen something like that sure seven sacks on the year for afadi 
And that that only really started like la- the back half of the season too. Yep. Uh, his first one was October sixth against the Giants. Yeah. So middle to you know started slow and then picked it up as the season went on. Yeah. Really, really um, awesome. Does he lead the team in sacks? He might lead the team in sacks. Wait a minute. Hold on. No, this is postseason numbers. Hold on now. That makes a lot more sense. Uh, let's see. He is third on the team in sacks after Danielle Hunter and Everson Griffin. That's pretty freaking awesome, especially that's, that's... from a from a defensive tackle. I mean, he's listed as a DE, but he often plays DT. Yep. One more reason. It's awesome. You can watch him out there in purple, tearing it up in the postseason, and squint. Almost imagine that he's still with the Cats. If only. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlotpirates, and email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.